You're listening to The Sermon Podcast from Southside Baptist Church, located in Florence, South Carolina. We now have two services, a classic service at 8.30 and a modern service at 11 o'clock. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. And we're continuing from last week, Winning Against Anxiety, Part 2. And we're going to be, we're going to be in Joshua Chapter 6. And uh, last week, just kind of brief review, since we're doing a Part 2, and we saw that um, when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to depression, when it comes to some of these um, mental health issues, number one was, you are not crazy. You're not crazy. As well, number two was, you're not alone. And man, that's one thing Satan loves to try to get into our minds. And he, as Christians, he can't possess us. He can't mess with us. He can't mess us, make us, make us do anything. But man, he sure can whisper those lies in our head and make us think that we're crazy, that we're the only one. And number three is God will help you. The other thing that we saw was this, is that when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to the root of the reason we have anxiety that ends up spilling over and controlling our lives, there's there's really four main reasons. And number one was uh, past abuse, past abuse. And we may think that we're over it, or maybe we just kind of suppressed it. We never dealt with it. And just boom, it comes bubbling up. It's an issue. Number two was current pressures. We don't stop. We go, 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 boom, hit a wall. And we wonder why we deal with anxiety. We never get the rest we need. And that is an issue. Number three was self-inflicted pressures. That we've put on ourselves. And number four was a chemical imbalance. The brain is an organ. And sometimes, just as other organs need medicine, sometimes we have a chemical imbalance. Sometimes that can be the case. And we need a doctor's help. And so those were the four causes. And so today, we're going to focus on how do we win. We see the root cause. What do we do? And just as you would have a, you would need to take time to heal physically if you had a wound, It takes time to heal spiritually as well. It takes time to heal emotionally. It's not just one day, boom, I'm healed and I'm good to go. It takes some time. But step by step, day by day, um, the Lord can help us when it comes to our anxiety, when it comes to our worry. And so how do we win against anxiety? And you'll see number one is worship. Worship. And and you may wonder, how, how is that the case? Well, let's turn to... Joshua chapter 6 and verse 15. And we're going to read this and you're going to go, what does Jericho and the walls coming down have to do with me getting over anxiety? I'm glad you asked. Well, let's check it out. So in verse 15, it says, on the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time they went around the town seven times. Now, so what's going on? Joshua is now the leader of Israel. There's probably anywhere from a million and a half to two million people. That's a lot of people to lead. Moses is dead. He's gone. This is the first battle that Joshua is going to have to deal with. And God says, I want you for the first seven days, I want you to go. And he, has a, he tells them how he wants them set up with the priest and the, the, um, the Ark of the Covenant and getting all set up and how he wants them to take horns and blow the horn. But the first six days that go around... The, uh, the, around the town of Jericho, once a day for six days straight. Nothing's happening. And I don't know all what Jericho had done to, I guess, make the Lord angry, but they had done some, some pretty awful things. By the way, and man, I, no question, when you read the Old Testament, there's some gruesome things in there. 
And there's some things where God says, I want you to take out this people group. And we go, why would God do that? But there's some things you need to realize. There's some things you need to realize and um, that, that not every country and some of the things that were going on in some of those countries could be labeled as just straight up genocide. And God's like, I'm using my country, my people to bring judgment upon some of the sin that's been going on in that land. And some of it was they had altars to Moloch for killing babies, for killing toddlers and throwing them in and burning them alive. When you get into it, there is some gruesome, gruesome stuff. And there's some things we don't know about. We just don't. But not everything in the Bible is prescriptive. Some of it's just descriptive. This is what happened. And that's how it is. And so um, this is the first battle. In fact, Joshua's going to have 31 battles he's going to have to face. But on day seven, God says, I don't want you to go around at once. I want you to go around seven times. And notice what happens. Notice what he has them do. And he continues. And he says, The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, who lived in the city walls. He would live in the city walls. That's how thick they were. And the others in her house will be spared. For she protected our spies. It was not a device that caused Jericho's walls to fall. Rather, Joshua exhorted the Israelites to celebrate God's victory. The interesting thing is, the trumpets God instructed them to play were, were typically used for, um, to, for the battle cry or to play after the Lord had given them a victory. But there was not even a victory yet. God told Joshua, I want you. And those who you're leading, I want them to blow that trumpet. I want them to the horn. I want them to shout. I want them to praise me before the victory is even given. Before there's a victory. So what did, what did um, uh, as they're worshiping, um, why would God have them do that? So they would trust in him. So they would trust in him. And that's the lesson here is sometimes, sometimes we worship because we've had a victory, but sometimes we worship until we see one. Now, like I mentioned, even though Israel had entered the promised land and as they were in the wilderness, God supernaturally gave them something called manna, which means what is it? And it was believed, if you know, like a honey wafer. Anyway, it was bread that they would collect every single morning, except on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, that God would give them. And on Friday, they could, you know, double that up. But when they get to the promised land, that's over. No more manna. In fact, you would think that when they get to the promised land, that there would be no more battles. But Jericho was the first of 31 battles that they were going to have to fight. And sometimes as Christians and sometimes as believers, we think, well, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have any more problems. I shouldn't have any more worries. I shouldn't have any more battles to face. And my friend, that just isn't true. I mean, read the book of Ephesians and you'll see that we as Christians at times are in spiritual warfare. We're in spiritual warfare. And a lot of that, man, takes place in between the ears. We are at war. We have an enemy, and there will be battles that you will have to face.
But God gives us the promise, promises in the scripture. He gives us an opportunity to praise him. And there may be times in which you're going through a battle, that you're dealing with anxiety, that you're dealing with issues, and you're like, I don't really feel like praising God. I really don't feel like worshiping God right now. And I'm sure Joshua felt the same way. But God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to worship you regardless of what's going on around me, regardless if I know exactly the income, because sometimes we worship until we see a victory, not just because we see one. Hey, should you celebrate, man, when God comes through? Absolutely. But will you praise him through the storm? Will you praise him even when things get difficult? Now, I'm speaking hypothetically here. I wonder how many believers would still worship God and still praise God if suddenly, put yourself kind of in Israel's shoes here a little bit, if suddenly you had enemies around you that were attacking our country and they were bombing different places, how many people would go, where's God at this? I, can't, I thought God would deliver us and do everything the way I wanted to. I thought if I just had enough faith that we would never have problems in the United States of America. And let me tell you something, that just isn't true. How many would still praise God if World War III was on your doorstep? Or would you blame God? And I think this relates. Sometimes we worship because we have a victory. Sometimes you just worship until you see one. And you worship, if you can't, listen, if you just want to worship God when everything is going your way, when your bank account looks good and your kids are acting the way you want them to act and your job is going the way you want your job to go, then I'll praise God. Man, you really don't love God. You're just looking out for what's in it for just for you. But as children of God, we are to follow God. We are to trust in the Lord. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. But you know what the next verse says? And I love the next verse. Now, I have it memorized in King James because that's, that's what I was raised up on. And it says this, The result of that will be that it will be health to the navel, right in here, and marrow to the bones. Man, how much stress and anxiety do we experience simply because we do not make the decision to trust in the Lord? And that navel, man, it's right in here. When you feel depressed, when you are feeling, and there's a, um, I don't know exactly what it was called, but you can find this online where um, they, they do like an infrared, I believe, like view of the body of different feelings from depression to anxiety and where it hits in the body. And you can, how neat is that? That you can kind of see where we have some of these issues. And guess where we have the issue of anxiety? It's right in here, the navel. And tomorrow, of course, gives you life because it gives you your blood so you can continue to breathe and continue to go. So why worship? Why worship? In Scripture, God taught us two unique ways to experience his presence. And I want his presence. I know you want his presence. And the first one is our public gathering. It's a public gathering. God inhibits the praises of, um, uh, it, it, it is there in the midst of the praise of his people. Scripture tells us that where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. He is with us. He's here now. He's with us. Now, 
It's nice that we have Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and, and we record our services. And that's nice. That's good, right? It's a great way for new people to check out our church. Or if you're sick or you have a, a, a kid that's not feeling well and you still want to be a part of the services. But let me tell you something, church. I say this lovingly. We don't do the live stuff so you can be lazy and stay home and just watch TV on your couch. That's not the purpose of it. You need to be at church. When the Bible says we shouldn't forsake the, the, uh, the fellowship, forsake the assembling, it had nothing to do with Facebook or YouTube Live, okay? Um, it had everything with getting up, getting dressed, brushing your teeth, combing your hair, and coming to church and gathering with other believers, whether it's, it was in a home, whether it was in a small sanctuary or a large gathering or outside. It was about coming together to worship with the Lord. This is our public gathering. And we shouldn't make light of it. We shouldn't make light of it. Now, yeah, yeah nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to go to church to be a Christian. But it does say if you are a Christian, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that your tail should be in church if you're a Christian. And you can't read the New Testament and go, you know what? Those Christians were half dedicated to the church. That's not how it was. They were dedicated and they were in. Here's another reason. When you, if you want to experience his, his presence is worship. His worship. Man, we worship the Lord here on Sunday morning. But during the week... Man, you need to worship the Lord. Worship the Lord through prayer. Worship the Lord um, by meditating on the word. And worship the Lord through music. Now, I'm not anti-secular music. I'm not, we don't kind of, we're not legalistic when it comes to music. But there's very obvious there's music and there's some things we should not listen to as Christians. They don't do you any good. And I wonder how many people struggle with anxiety, struggle with some mental health because of the junk that they listen to during the week and the things they watch during the week that just brings them down. And the only time, the only time they worship the Lord is on Sunday morning. Man, you're going to miss out on experiencing the presence of God in your life. You're going to miss out on that. And you're going to wonder, why do I feel the way I feel? Well, and it's always easy to pick on country music, by the way. Um, I'm not anti-country music, but let's face it. We like to pick on country music a little bit. If you're always listening to something about how you lost your wife, you lost your dog, you lost your pair of jeans, and there's no more beer, you're going to feel down. You're going to. But what about you focus on worshiping the Lord during the week? Man, the amount of Christian music and the quality of the Christian music has light year, come light years in the last 20 or so years. There's some good stuff. There's some good stuff. Man, pour that into your life and worship the Lord. Worship, the, worship Him. And He inhabits the praise, praises of His people. And so He's in the midst of what we do. So here's some of the byproducts. Here are the byproducts of spending time and spending time in the presence of God. Here it is. One is peace. Why do we not have peace? It's a byproduct of spending time before him. There's joy in his presence. Not just happiness. Happiness is temporary, right? All you Gamecock fans are excited you beat UK last night. Only half of us even saw it because AT&T internet went out, right? And um, so we won't go there, just make you angry. But now it's back, though. Came back like 11 o'clock last night. And so, um, anyway, you also have rest. 
But we can have joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances because, man, we're in God's presence. That's something supernatural. Rest. We can have confidence. Jeremiah says, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope in confidence. Notice number five. We have, we have guidance. Protection. But all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them that all who love your name will be filled with joy. That picture of just the Lord just covering us up with his presence in the midst of our suffering, our midst of our stress and our worries and the things we're just so concerned about. He just, man, his comfort comes over us and joy just blooms once again in our life. And then notice also the power. Not just power, power, but power that comes from him, the power to accomplish his will. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish um, indefinitely more than what we might ask or think. He wants to do a work through you. The God of the universe, the one who made everything, wants to do a work through you. He has all power. He has all of it. And he wants to use you to accomplish his will. So what do peace, joy, rest, confidence, guidance, protection, and power all have in common? What do they have in common? It's this. It's the opposite. It's the opposite of fear the opposite of worry, anxiety, and depression. In other words, God is the solution. Amen? God is the solution. And he told us that in his word, and it's right before us, he is the solution. We may look to other things for the solution. When we're stressed out, when we're you know, um, having issues, maybe we run to food, maybe we run to alcohol, maybe some run to porn, maybe some run to uh, overworking. And I don't know what you may run to, but God wants us to run to him. He's the only solution. Then the other things just add kind of fuel to the fire of our anxiety and depression. He's given us a solution. So spend time in his presence. Are you spending time? Are you spending time in his presence? If you want to to continue praying, being in his presence, man, only then will you find the peace, joy, rest, and guidance and protection that you need. But part of that that makes that happen is worship. Worship him in that way. You see, worship, it defeats depression. Worship overcomes our anxiety. Worship restores confidence. Worship is a weapon that can can defeat the things that the enemy is trying to use to take us out. In fact, worship is an absolute weapon. It is a weapon of mass destruction that destroys Satan's abilities to mess with your your mind, your will, and your emotions. And where the mind goes, it follows. And so do our emotions. Now, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 tells us that we have the mind of Christ. We have the ability to think like Christ thinks. It doesn't say we have the emotions of Christ, but it says that we have the mind of Christ. And notice how it dovetails in with this, this verse here. This is a common verse. Maybe you know it. I mean, it's a great one to memorize. It's in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. In fact, we used, I think, verse 2 a couple weeks ago. This is what it says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, 
Notice what Paul says. I plead with you. I plead with you. So, man, he is, he is making a point here. To give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Let's, before we get to verse 2, let's just look at that for a moment. Paul's pleading, your bodies should be a living and holy sacrifice. Is there something right now you need to give up because it's getting in the way of living for God? It may be a good thing. It may be that you're just simply way too busy. And you're getting ready to hit a wall. Eventually you're going to hit a wall because you never stop. He's saying, it's a holy sacrifice. The kind he will find what? Acceptable. It's truly the only way to worship him. If you're living the Christian life thinking it's only about you, it's not about anything else, and it's about God molding to your structure, molding to your timeline, molding and expecting God to do things the way you want God to do them, my friend, you're not living. You're not a living and holy sacrifice. You're trying to make your own God. And we are tempted to do that as people. You see, it's not all about you. It's about Jesus. It's about worshiping him. And when you become a living and holy sacrifice, one, he'll find that acceptable. Two, you find, you'll find that worship is that key that helps set you free. It'll help set you free. So don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. What is it saying? The world does the opposite. The world says, it's about me. It's about my wants. It's about having a consumer mentality. And some have that with church. Some do. They go, well, you didn't do exactly everything the way I wanted because it's all about me. And I'm out of here. The scripture says, don't copy that. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Notice, it's conditional. It doesn't just happen because of wishful thinking. It happens because you make a choice. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So then this happens. You do this, then this will happen to you. And I wonder, I wonder how much of our anxiety is about controlling what God was only meant to control. Now, like I said, there's four sources of our anxiety when you get to the root of it. Sure, sometimes it can be a chemical imbalance. Sometimes we got to deal with some past abuse issues in our life and we need, some, we need some help in that area. No question. Don't want to minimize those. But I'd be, if I was a betting man, I'd be willing to bet that there's a high percentage of our anxiety that people deal with as they're trying to control what they would never, ever, ever, ever be able to control. That's what it is. There's some things we need to let go and give to God and let him do his part. And so what should we, man, it's time. It's time to make a change. So we worship him with a renewed and renewed mind, a cleansed mind, not with our emotions. We make a decision. Let me ask you this. What would you tell someone who was feeling absolutely overwhelmed with anxiety? Where would you start? 
what would you say? They come right up to you and they go, man, I need help. What would you tell me right now? Like, what what should be my first steps of what I should do? Now, don't take this wrong. Sometimes we as Christians will simply go, well, I'll just pray for you. And we should. And that's definitely a part of the equation. But that's not the full answer just to go, I'll pray for you or just think of you. Like, no, there needs to be more than that. It needs to be more than that, that as believers. I would say this, is start praising and start praying. And as you do, talk to God and be real honest with him. Don't try to make a speech. Talk to your father. Tell him exactly what you're going through. Tell him how you feel. Tell him exactly what's going on. Ask him for help. Ask him for strength. Get real with God and your prayers individually. And what happens is a lot of Christians do not have this habit of praying and praising. And you're missing out on the peace and the joy in which God gives us. He has it available to us. And we take too much on. We take too much on. So let me ask you truly, just to yourself, are you really worshiping and praising God during the week? Or is Sunday the only time? That's an issue. That's an issue. Also, we see this, is right actions lead to the right feelings. Say, preacher, I don't, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it right now. You need to make a choice. See, right actions lead to the right feelings. You may get up and you realize that your marriage is in trouble. I'm not feeling it. I fell out of love. No, actually what happened is you fell out of commitment. You stopped dating. Somewhere along the lines, maybe both of you or one of you got a little lazy. You were on your game. Things change. Chapters change in our marriages and in our life. And sometimes we go through different seasons, right? Seasons from you know spring, summer, fall, winter. And that, that happens as well. But you know how you get your marriage back on track? It's when you both humble yourself, you forgive one another, and you start doing the right actions again. Eventually, those right actions will lead to the right feelings, whether it comes to your marriage, when it comes to other relationships, when it comes to you walking with the Lord. How can you expect the right feelings when it comes to the things of God If you never, if church is the only time you really spend time with the Lord, you need more than just that. You need to worship. You need to start praying. And those right actions will eventually lead to those right feelings. And so how do you win against anxiety? Worship the Lord. Worship him. How do you win against anxiety? Pray. You need to pray. This is what Philippians tells us. Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about some things. No, everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then, wait a second, I think we saw then in a previous passage. We did. We did. We saw it in Romans 12, right? It says, you do this, then this will happen. Same thing here in Philippians. You do this, then this will happen. What will happen? Then you experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can, you, 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 uh, we can understand. His peace will Guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I was reading that last night 
And I always review my messages on Saturday night and Sunday morning and in between services. This is what kept popping into my mind of his peace will guard your hearts and minds. Imagine someone is trying to kill you. Amen. They're trying to take you and your family out. And that fear and that hurt and that worry, Mike, it'd be hard to sleep and hard to go on. But the, there's 20 police cars around your house guarding you. They eventually catch the person who's trying to kill you. They're put in prison. They're gone. It kind of gives that comfort of knowing that what was trying to take you out, that God has you. And there's things in this life that we deal with and issues and hurt and pain. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds. As you live in Christ Jesus. Man. How. How much anxiety and worry. Do we deal with. Because we simply. Don't do what the Bible says. You know ultimately what Philippians chapter 4. And what Romans chapter 12. Are saying. It's very simple. Right actions lead to the right feelings. That's what it's saying. It's saying that if we do the right things. The right feelings will eventually come. So according to Paul, when anxiety attacks, you attack back. You don't have to be anxious about anything because you talk to God about everything. This supplication or petition or praying to God about everything, what is that? It is communicating with God. So when you go to the Lord in prayer, prayer is a time to confess your sin. Prayer is a time to um, praise God. We can praise God in our prayers, worship him. It's a time to ask God. Ask God. That's part of prayer. Sometimes people are are very timid when it comes to God. Like, I don't know if I want to ask him because he may think it's dumb or silly. And no matter what it may, everything, give it to him. He's wise enough that, uh, that if there's something we don't need, he'll tell us no. Or he may say yes. He may say, wait, I have something better for you later. But then thank him. Thank him. And part of communicating with God and overcoming, and, and overcoming our anxiety is to make the request known to him, to give it to him. And so parents, parents in here, you have kids. Um, one of your, imagine one of your kids is struggling. The last thing you want them to do is to keep it to themselves. When your child comes to you and shares their struggle and shares what's going on, you don't get angry at them, do you? No, you go, oh, let's, I'm here for you. You're there to help them. It makes you feel good. You're ready to, to do anything that you can do to help them out. And man, God the Father is the same way. So God invites us to get in the habit of telling him about the things that are bothering us. And there's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving means is in reference to gratitude. He instructed us to present our petitions, our prayers with thanksgiving. And if you were to ask most of us what we're grateful for, what God has done in our life, we would say, yeah, I'm very grateful for all that God has done. And, but it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget um, all that God has done for us. So here's an idea. Write down some of the things that you're thankful for. Write down what God has done for you. You see, it'll make you feel grateful. And here's the thing. It's hard to be depressed and thankful at the same time. 
It's very difficult. You might be here and go, try me, preacher. But in general, it's hard to be depressed. See, gratitude changes our outlook. So make a list. Maybe get in your phone and have a gratitude list of the things that you're thankful for. That you can go back. And there's some things maybe you haven't thought of. You ever thought about, man, God, I'm so thankful for the health of my children. Because when you look around, there's people that you may even know that their child is struggling with being able to walk. Their child is struggling because they have cancer. Their child is struggling because of some certain disease. And you look at your kiddos and they're running around. There's some people who would dream to have their child running around the house. You know, my youngest son, Grant, is nine years old. And we just got a new dog like two months ago. I think it's two months ago. It seems a lot longer. But him and that dog are thick as thieves. And that dog is all over the place like a nine-year-old. I mean, there's always something, it seems, falling, something loud going on and um, with, uh, with, that, with that dog and that kid. But, you know, there's times, I, like there was the other day, he was trying to get the dog to bark, and he did for 10 minutes straight, getting his dog to bark. And I'm trying to focus on something. Fine, I had to go downstairs and go, Grant, dude, take him outside or something. Like, you got to stop. You're driving me crazy right now. But, man, there are people as simple as that of our health, our children's health, that, man, it makes us thankful. It gives us gratitude. So how do we win against anxiety? Um, We pray. Give it to God. Stop holding all that in. Give it to him. And here's the other one. It's remember to attack. (laughs) Remember to attack? What do you mean? What do you mean? See, there's a battle, and there's a battle for your mind. And Satan... Or just our, our own selves can easily get down on ourselves. And the way that I'm feeling is typically an overflow of our own thoughts. The entire bat- battleground exists between those two ears of yours. And scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, it says to take every thought captive. Think about that. You ever been doing something and boom, a thought just comes to your mind. Is it good? Is it bad? Scripture says, man, take it captive. The Bible reminds us we get to choose, don't miss this, we get to choose what we focus on. We get to choose. And it's incredible how quickly our mood, our confidence, our outlook on life can change when we focus focus on the right things. I'm going to prove it to you real quick. Are you ready? All right? I'm just going to say three words. Four words. Get that right. (laughs) Trump. Biden, cute baby elephant. See, it just changes your mood real quick. Whether you like Trump or you like Biden, but when you think about cute baby elephants, who doesn't like a cute baby elephant? There's things that can make you angry real quick that can get your attention, but you have a choice on what you're going to do with it. And it's biblical. Notice Philippians 4.8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, one final thing I want you to know. Fix your thoughts on what is true. In other words, I want you to focus on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, um, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, notice this. I know it's probably not a dual meaning here, and it's not, but I just thought, this as I was reading this passage. Fix your thoughts on what is true. You can almost put it like this. When you focus your thoughts, 
God will fix your mind. He will fix your mind. You want your mind fixed? Focus your thoughts on these things. You have a choice. And I know we live in a day and age where we want to blame everybody else for all of our problems. No, no, no. It's you. The biggest, the, the hardest person you have to lead is you. If you can lead you, you can lead other people. If you can lead you, you can lead a business. If you can lead you, you can lead uh, 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 other projects. You can lead. But the biggest issue, stop blaming everybody else. Had a horrible childhood? Stop blaming your childhood. I'm not saying minimize it. You got a boss you don't like? Stop blaming your boss. Stop blaming your spouse for everything, for you not being happy. No, you have a choice. Take the thought captive. Focus on what is good. And it's going to take some time. It takes some time to break some habits. Bad habits are like a grave that's, um, that's just in a circle. You're just going around and around and around, and you're just in a rut. It's hard to get up. But when we focus our thoughts, he changes. He changes um, what we focus on. And so Paul Paul wants us to stay focused and remember the amazing things that God has done in our lives. And I want you to know that peace is possible. And it's a battle. There's times in which anxiety is going to attack. There's going to be seasons that are worse than others. But because of who Christ is, because of what he's done for us, he will help you. And you can get through it. Just as Jesus, when he was tempted for 40 days by Satan, what did he do in Matthew 4? He went to Scripture. And we must do the same. You know, remembering what God has done for us is a massive weapon in defeating anxiety and depression. And it will come. Now, I want to show you one last passage. I'm going to be done. All right? It's in Joshua chapter 3. In Joshua chapter 3, Joshua, man, he's leading the people. He's trying to find out, find himself as a leader. And God tells him what he wants them to do. He wants them to cross Jordan. Now Moses had taken the people of Israel to the Red Sea and God parted it. And he's wondering, God, what are you going to do? So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan. Million, two million people. And the priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, went ahead of them. And it was harvest season. And the Jordan was overflowing its banks. There's a lot of water here. And as soon as the feet of the priests were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, notice what happens. The water above the, that point began backing up at a great distance away at a town called Adam. That was about 25 miles upriver, which is near Zarethan. And the water below the point flowed on the top of a uh, flowed to the Dead Sea and to the riverbed was dry. And then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. And meanwhile, the priests were carrying the ark of the Lord. The Lord's covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. And they waited. And they waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. In the next passage, in chapter 4, chapter 4, Joshua tells them, once you take, took 12 men, one from each tribe, and they built a memorial in the river of Jordan, the Jordan River. Then they also took 12 stones out of the Jordan River and put it on dry ground so that future generations, that their children, when they would ask, what is that? They could tell them how they trusted God. That as they stood there at the river's edge, 
And God's promises were coming, and it was going to hold true. But they had to wait a little bit. They saw the water start to go down in the Jordan River as it rest went into the Dead Sea. And 25 miles up, they had to wait a little bit for that water to come all the way through. It was a miracle. It was a miracle, and it was dry. And I'm sure there was times of doubt in Joshua's mind as he's standing there, wondering, God, I hope this works. God, I hope this comes true. And it did. We read about it here today. And just as they set stones to remember, there's things that you need to remember. Remember what God has brought you through. Don't forget his faithfulness. Forgetfulness is a great enemy of the faith. We forget all that God has done for us and we wonder, God, where are you at? And as you look back, you see how faithful he's been. So remember, remember what God has promised you in his word. You need to remember. You need to be in God's word so you can see and be reminded that scripture says that we are loved when you feel unloved. That we are valued when you feel devalued. That you're accepted, that you're called, that God will never leave you nor forsake you, that he will guide you, that he will empower you. And with God, that nothing is impossible because he is with you. See, feelings come and go. There'll be days you'll have good days, you'll have bad days, but God's word is always true. And it gives us a firm foundation in which he can stand on. So when anxiety comes, when it attacks, find that passage or two that you can memorize, that you can fight back with that word. That word will fight back. It'll help keep you focused. Have peace and the joy in your mind. That's the antidote. That's the answer. Number three is this, my friend, is remember Remember, God is going with you. Joshua, I'm sure, was scared. His leader and his friend Moses was dead. As a leader, he had all the capability to be a good leader, but he wasn't sure. Everyone was looking at him. He had no idea how to pull all this off. And maybe you felt that way before. And so as he's getting started, God gave him a wonderful verse, a wonderful passage It's a promise that we can look at and apply to our lives today. It's in Joshua 1, 9. This is what it says. Have I not commanded you, be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Christian, he is with you. He knows your struggle. And he's ready for you. To depend upon him. So attack back. Don't be passive. Attack back through worship. Attack back through prayer, through gratitude, and standing on the word of God and his promises. And remember where God and where he's brought you out of. You weren't created to beat it alone. So run to the Father. And find help and the grace that you need. Let's pray. God, as we bow our heads this morning, we're reminded that we're not 
We're not able. We're not able to go through this life on our own. To experience the joy and the peace. To deal with the anxiety which can come into our lives and just overwhelm us at times. I'm thankful that you don't leave us or forsake us. God, there's some right now that they need to make a decision. It's time for them to have the right action. So in time, as you heal their heart, heal their their soul, heal them spiritually, that they'll grow in faith. They'll grow in their trust in you. It'll only come when they make the decision to do what is right and following you. God, we love you. We praise you. Be with us this week, God, as we go out into the world. May we worship you with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you, church, for being here.